1: Welcome to The drill down the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. Well, just ahead an almost 100% rally in AMC shares, is the company benefiting from the crazy rally in the stock? Plus, Zoom anticipates more growth after workers return to their offices. And can Square build a lasting business on Bitcoin? We'll hear that argument from Kevin Riley from Exponential Investment Partners. But first, it's sponsor time. The
2: drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era A-I-E-R-A, dot com.
1: We want to be everywhere you listen to podcasts so you can and should listen to The Drill Down on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, Pandora, and tune in. Hit that subscribe button and follow us. Leave a review. Every
2: little bit helps. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website,
1: bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business moves behind stocks on the move. Joining me right now, executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important stories in business today?
2: Corey, let's just get straight to it. Number one, AMC Entertainment. Today, the movie theater chain saw its shares more than double before notching their first record close since 2015. Shares jumped 96% today and they've gained over 2,800% since January 1st. AMC saw its stock price skyrocket thanks to a combination of, one, anticipation of the upcoming summer blockbuster season, two, a big move by one hedge fund, Murdoch Capital, buying $230 million of shares of AMC on Friday, then selling them today for a hefty profit, and three, a new program from AMC to give free popcorn and other perks to traders. So I got, to, and I also got to mention it, an analyst at Loop Capital is out there, Alan Gould, saying that AMC stock is not worth the
1: over $60 that's trading at right now, but it's worth $1 a share. So, so there you go. So I think what's super interesting here, and we talked about on the show yesterday, how this CEO uh, is really focused on using the rise in the stock price driven by Wall Street bets and knuckleheads and Reddit, just predicting a higher price just because they want it higher but actually using that to go on the market and sell shares. You know, at the same time, these Wall Street Bets guys are accusing short sellers of manipulating the price, but you've got the CEO actually out there uh, and the board of directors selling shares of stock, taking advantage of these high prices uh, in the stock price to get on a little more sound financial footing for the business. And I think it's kind of interesting the way that this company is using the perhaps ludicrous rise in the stock to put the company in a better financial footing.
2: Yeah, we'll see if that bet pays off though, right?
1: Yesterday he was talking Indeed. about HVAC systems. So I don't know
2: how much that's gonna help them in the long run.
1: Well, look, they, they, need, they need cash to stay alive, right? Um, that's and, true. And they're, they're getting it by selling shares and restructuring debt. And the increase in share price uh, becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but maybe yeah. not to this extent.
2: Well, yeah, but they also need customers to survive. So we'll see. Number two, Activist hedge fund Elliott Management has told Dropbox it is the company's largest shareholder after CEO, Drew Houston. Now this is according to the Wall Street Journal. Doing the math, the paper says, this means Elliott owns a stake of more than 10% of Dropbox. That's worth over $800 million. The cloud computing company went public back in March, 2018 and has been trading below its IPO price for most of that time.
1: Interestingly, uh, Dropbox did not benefit from the kind of giant move towards the cloud that other companies did during the pandemic, um, at least not to the same extent as companies like Amazon, Netflix, and Zoom.
2: And finally, the third most important business story of the day, a trend that we've been tracking here on The Drill Down, more shoppers are turning to the secondhand market for something cheaper and possibly greener, better for the environment, Etsy has been taking notes apparently and Etsy's now buying Depop for $1.6 billion. Depop, if you haven't heard of it, is a fashion resale marketplace. That's a go-to for generation Z. Now this cash deal is expected to close by the
1: third quarter of this year. So interesting that Depop wanted cash, not stock, right? But also yeah. interesting that you've seen um, a real slowdown in, in Etsy's growth uh, with the, the decline in the sales of masks. Uh, masks were the number one best-selling item for Etsy in the last year. Obviously, uh, the growth in masks in the last year is like nothing we'll probably, hopefully, ever see again. Hopefully. So uh, Etsy trying to boost those sales by taking cash and buying somebody else who will uh, give them the growth they couldn't find otherwise. Corey, what stocks are you drilling
2: down on today? Let's look at Zoom. Zoom. Zoom didn't move much today, but shares have gained 48% a year, a little more than the overall market. What's going on with Zoom? Well,
1: these guys make a video conference call product. Huh. Uh, you, I don't know if you've heard of this, Zoom. Zoom. Can you use it in a sentence? No. Oh, okay. Um, so, yes, uh, big picture Zoom. here. I know, I know. That's you really, hate, you really hate that
2: joke. I love it. <laughs>
1: I'm going to be using it every day from now on. No shocker. Zoom had a spectacular year, right? They, yeah, uh, just yeah. Kind of just, uh, just unfathomably awesome uh, growth for this business. It became a verb. Um,
2: it's an adjective. And it,
1: be, it became a verb. Uh, <laughs> it, they came into a space where there's lots of competition. Yeah. My buddy Bill Tai was the, one of the first investors in this thing, and I remember him sitting on a beach in Maui, where he's like, "I'm invested in this video conference call company called Zoom. It's going to do great." And I'm like. Yeah, right. The world needs that. (laughs) Well, did you know? Once again, Bill Tye is right. Corey Johnson's wrong. (laughs) But the surprising thing to me, at least, is that Zoom said on their uh, conference call um, with the most recent quarterly earnings that their momentum is going to continue post-COVID. Now, for the first quarter uh, that they announced uh, just now, um, sales were up 191% year over year to just shy of a billion dollars. And the company jacked up their guidance. They said that sales for the full year are now going to be just under four billion dollars. Now, by comparison, 2019, they did 331 million.
2: That is an incredible growth trajectory <laughs> prediction.
1: I mean how, how do it's, they it's just how do they plan to do this? Well, it's amazing. Um and I think what's interesting is sort of where the business is now and how they're growing. So in particular on the conference call, they talked about two segments of customers basically companies with more than 10 employees and companies with fewer than 10 employees. So which is
2: bigger for zoom? There are, there are of course more companies out there with fewer than 10 employees, but
1: Uh, where's their their bread and butter? Um, It's the bigger companies companies with fewer than 10 employees was 30% of their business a year ago in the first quarter. Now we found out it was 37% of late in the most recent first quarter. So, I, you know, I don't really understand why, and I have to say they didn't, I, to my mind, do a great job of explaining that in a conference call. The why is a mystery to me. And even after listening to the conference call, hearing the CFO, uh, Kelly Steckelberg, talk about it, um, I want you to listen to what she had to say about that business. Um, and listen carefully. Listen to how she talks about how successful they were upselling more features to the bigger companies. Those with more than 10 employees. But she talks about this, what she called volatility among the smaller companies, and even suggested that there could be more COVID-related closings of businesses in the future for these smaller companies. This make sense to me, but listen to what she had to say.
2: We had a better than expected result in terms of not only retaining customers, but also upselling them during Q1, especially in that cohort of customers with greater than 10 employees. So that's really exciting to see as um, and we expect that momentum to continue as we carry through the years. We have significant renewals also coming up in Q2 as well. In terms of the customer segment with fewer than 10 employees, as we mentioned in the prepared remarks, we're still expecting that to be more volatile as that's the segment that we've seen over the last 15 months has reacted more quickly to, you know, the openings and potential closings of markets around the globe.
1: Potential closings of markets around the world. I thought that stuff was behind us. I mean, you know, we all hope it's behind us, but I really do think it's behind us. So I don't know what's going on there with the smaller customer base, but they saw great growth uh, of uh, smaller customers, um, enterprises with uh, less than 10 employees, again, 37% of their business in the first quarter of this year but they're saying they won't grow as fast in the next year.
2: Corey, what is your next drill down?
1: Let's look at Schlumberger.
2: Schlumberger, SLB shares rose 7% today. They're higher by 88% in a year.
1: So this company is the king of the oil field. If there's work to be done in the oil field, it's either Schlumberger or Baker Hughes who's probably getting the first call. Well, today at a Sanford Bernstein conference, a virtual conference, CEO Olivier LePouche had some extraordinarily bullish comments about what's happening in the oil field. He's like my high school French there.
2: Uh, not really, to be perfectly honest. No? You no. weren't feeling it? Okay, no. well,
1: in any case, uh, my kids don't <laughs> like that either. <laughs> even the ones, especially the ones taking French.
2: Your kids are smart.
1: Um, yeah, fine. All right, well, uh, uh, Mr. LePouche uh, said that the oil and gas business was, quote, on the verge of an exceptional growth cycle. He said they're well positioned to deliver outstanding returns in the short and medium term. It was just very, very bullish about what's happening in the oil field. Specifically, he said that the fiscal year 2021 revenues, uh, they're gonna exceed $22.5 billion. The profit margins would be about 21%. Is that
2: materially different for what they said they, when the last announced earnings? Well, when they
1: announced earnings uh, in April, Mm -hmm. right, we're kind of in a mid section here. right? they, this is even better. Materially, I don't know, but he was he was really bullish on earnings a month ago. Here's what Lapouche had to say back on April 23rd. And as I mentioned, Schlumberger, a French multinational. So you know what that
3: means, Isaac? The French CEO. I believe it's clear that we are about to enter demand-led recovery. And I think the, the macro factor, both uh, economic growth and uh, what we are seeing, indicates that... Uh, uh, the old demand recovery uh, will uh, reach 2019 level uh, by or before the end of 2022. That's bullish. In this context, I believe that uh, we are really uh, and starting the, at and during the second half of this year facing the beginning of a demand-led recovery that will trigger a multi-year recovery cycle and industry upcycle. In this context, if you look at the... Recent period of underinvestment. Look at the structural constraints in North America due to capital discipline. I believe that uh, this will create the condition to create a significant pull on international supply. So right. this will support international supply activity build-up, uh, not only at the end of this year but well into 22 and 23.
1: So bullish a month ago, bullish today. Uh, That's the stock moving today. But I think it's really interesting that these guys are seeing the benefit of higher oil prices and that under what they call underinvestment in the US through capital discipline during a downturn, but that that's going to boomerang right back into more sales for Schlumberger.
2: Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at iRhythm. IRTC shares lost 17% today and they've declined by 50% over the last 12 months, what's going on with iRhythm?
1: Yeah, bad day for this stock. Um, And it's because we got a sign of maybe bad things or something not good going on at the company. It's another conference story. A lot of conferences in the world of finance uh, this week. Uh, This morning, the CEO, Mike Coyle, was scheduled to appear at the William Blair Growth Conference or the Growth Stock Conference. Uh, And it's a big deal, not just because He only started this CEO job in January. Well, how did it go? How did he do? He didn't do (laughs) because he's not the CEO anymore. To the surprise of everybody, on the night before the conference, iRhythm put out a press release saying that they had parted ways with the CEO. Ah. Uh, They said that uh, for personal reasons he was leaving. The company is going to go right back and do another search with the same executive first search firm, uh, Hydric & Struggles. They're going to look for a new CEO as the chief financial officer, Douglas Devine, takes the reins as interim CEO. So what exactly went down before the conference? Well, they put on a press release um, right after the close of the markets last night, the morning before the conference. And yet the appearance was still on the schedule and the CFO showed up to um to answer some awkward questions with some awkward answers. But the big issue for this company uh, is pricing and the pricing they're able to get from Medicare. So let's back up. So iRhythm makes a mobile EKG device for people with risks of a heart attack. And they call it the, the ZEO or an Ambulatory Cardiac Monitoring Solution. And it gets a, a page, let's get remote data Uh, for their heart condition, uh, typically for 48 hours, but for up to two weeks. Uh, Is it just a heart rate monitor? Good question. I mean, they have pitched this as some kind of like telemedicine, digital health doohickey. Wall Street has looked at this as a telemedicine play during COVID at times. Uh, Obviously the stock has not responded, but it did for a while there. Now, when the folks at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS, when CMS looked at this in the fall, They apparently thought they were paying too much for this service and cited in their press release conflicting information and assertions provided by the commenters about uh, this Zio device. So they punted on setting a national pricing policy for the iRhythm Zio and they effectively pushed down iRhythm's potential earnings. So uh, that's the overhanging issue with this company. They bring in a new CEO, the CEO stays for just a few months and disappears the night before a conference. Not a positive sign, at least it's the way Wall Street looked at it, as we can see from the stock price movement. Now, in today's comments, the CFO, the interim CEO, all of a sudden, insists that the sudden departure of the CEO, just five months on the job, had nothing to do with the negotiations with CMS. And indeed, the company says they're of the opinion that CMS should reimburse them at a robust level, and they're talking to anybody they think might help them. Listen to this awkward answer uh, when asked about those negotiations from the interim CEO Douglas Devine, I can definitely assure you that uh, every you know everything has stayed on track to our expectations since earnings release. We've had a number of meetings with a number of different entities, um, and this does not in any way reflect the difference in our opinion on on what the outcome and what the uh, the chances of uh, you know how we'd be handicapping the chances of various outcomes. Uh, in the reimbursement process. So just kind of awkward, not really saying much about what was going on there, leaving investors and leaving really the world to look at this company and say, are you gonna get a better reimbursement for this product? Is it really a telemedicine tool? And what's the future for uh, this Zio product from San Francisco-based iRhythm? Um, We definitely know less than we even knew yesterday. All right, coming up next, we're going to drill down on Square, and we're going to look at how Square feels about Bitcoin. Do you remember, Isaac, how Square feels about Bitcoin? I think I might remember. Can you give me a little hint? We we love you, Bitcoin. There's a hint. One more time. We, we love you, Bitcoin. That's right. That's Jack Dorsey talking about Bitcoin from Square. We're going to talk to Kevin Riley of Exponential Investment Partners about Square and why he loves this company. So very much, almost as much as Square Loves Bitcoin.
2: The drill down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more, powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some forty thousand investor events annually across ten thousand global equities. Learn more at Era AIERA.com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drill and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us
1: know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to the drill down. Our guest, Kevin Riley of exponential investment partners. Uh, Kevin, what is exponential investment partners before we get started here?
0: Uh, well, exponential investment partners is an Atlanta based hedge fund. And, uh, we run some fairly unique strategies and, uh, We've, we've done quite well over the past uh, five and a half years that we've been around. And uh, I run it with my partner, Doug Astrop, here out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Long-short? Uh, we're long-biased. That's the category we fall into. We also do sell options, which technically makes us a long-short fund. But we fall into the long-biased category.
1: Interesting. So you've uh, chosen a really interesting company, that uh, being uh, Square, one of the two companies run by Jack Dorsey in the public markets. Um, Talk to us about why you have an interest in Square, why you uh, like this business model.
0: Well, I followed Square ever since they went, uh, uh, you know, opened IPO and so forth. Uh, I guess it was two and a half years ago or something like that. Um, It just seems to me like it's a great company. They've got a lot of um, secular trends going in their, you know, their favor. They've got uh, this switch from, from cash over to electronic payments and everything. Um, We we do a lot of talking with uh, people on the ground, you know, stores. Every time I go into a store and, you know, I see them using some sort of a payment system, a mom and pop business, I ask them about it. I just talked to them I've done this for years. I ask them, you know, what are you using? Invariably, they say Square. And then I say, well, what do you think of that product? And every single one of them says they love it just across the board. So we do a lot of, uh, you know, informal channel checking, if you will, on the ground. Um, you know, and the company is run by Dorsey, of course. Quite an interesting guy. I mean, in, in, to some extent, it's kind of a bet on him. You know, he's kind of like the, the Elon Musk type personality that you're sort of betting on him to some extent. And uh, I really like what he's done over the years. I think he's very sharp. And he also doesn't get himself in trouble Unlike Mr. Musk, sometimes does. Um, they've got a lot of really strong things going on right now. They've got this partnership with Google that they just launched, where all these merchants are going to be able to, you know, list their products on Square. And uh, we think that's that's an underestimated value that uh, the, their their customers will really like. And, and the numbers just kind of speak for themselves too. I mean, we have kind of a unique way of looking at earnings estimates here at Exponential. What we do is we look at the history of the company. So, so Square has been public for uh 22 uh, quarters earnings estimates now. And yeah. We, we, right. right, right. You were
1: saying two years. I was thinking, no way That goes way back. It's actually, yeah, it's actually yeah. six years, right?
0: Well, let's see, 22 quarters divided by four, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: 2015, yeah.
0: Right, right. So so we look at the quarters that the company has has been around, and we look at whether or not they beat on estimates. And they did in uh, 19 of the past 22 quarters, they've beat estimates. But more importantly to me is three well, of the don't past- Don't get me
1: started on that. Well, all that means not? the analysts, because all <laughs> it means is the analysts underestimize. It doesn't mean the company beat. It just means the analysts were convinced that they were going to do worse and put up yeah. an easier number. I mean, we watched Cisco do that for forever and ever when they would beat by exactly one penny every single quarter, including yeah. getting analysts in some way somehow to change their numbers right before the announcement so they could continue that beat. I'm much more interested in the growth uh, at this company. And, and mm. Square, uh, you mentioned uh, this move. I think it is really interesting how much cash transactions happen uh, in retail or used to happen before COVID in retail, when it really was dollars out of a wallet uh, into the hands of a merchant. Um, I'm such a credit card guy. I think a lot of people are maybe listening to this, but that uh, that is not the way a lot of commerce actually happens in the United States.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, when was the last time you paid for anything with cash? I actually had to buy something with cash the other day and I was completely confused. Um it just you know it just doesn't get done anymore. So you know, and plus, you know if you're if you're if you're using credit cards, you can actually profit off those things by you know collecting rewards points, miles, dollars, whatever you want. Uh, it, it just clearly is the trend. And you know they've got other competitors out there. They've got PayPal and they got Chase and Shopify and whatnot as competitors. But Square just seems to be in the lead to us amongst all of the other competitors. Um, I know you didn't want to talk about the stock too much, but the stock has has bounced four times off that $200 price level. And one of the things that we like to do is, at Exponential is we sell puts. So whenever that stock gets down to somewhere near that $200 level, we'll sell puts, naked puts on it uh, right. at $200 or underneath of it. So so we've been doing that and, and doing quite well. Um, as for the business, they've got other entities or other. Um, segments as well like the cash app uh, revenue is up 139% this yeah, year. Yeah, so talk
1: to me. What what is that cash app business? How does that work? Cuz that, that is for, certainly a focus for these guys.
0: Yeah, it's person to person payments and you know, it's growing fast. As I said, it's up 139% uh, this, with competitors uh, year, like yeah, competitors Chase. like Venmo, uh, yeah, well, Venmo and, and Zelle, and, right? Which yeah, is the
1: right. the conglomerate of all these banks uh, in Zelle that lots of other banks are using. Uh, It does seem that that's a very, it's an attractive business on one hand, right? Friends paying friends cash money. On the other hand, it does have some real competitors with Zelle and Venmo. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question there's competition out there. But, you know, what what we tend to go back to is when we talk to local merchants, what do they use? And it's Square. They, They all just seem to love it. It's the simplicity of use. It's, you know... The, the the things they're allowed to do with it, the analytics and whatnot, they've just made it really simple to use. It's it's kind of like Amazon is really simple to use for a consumer. Well, Square is really simple to use for a business.
1: So in terms of um, uh, their concentration around industries, they're very heavy in the food and drink, right? That's 27% right. of sales according to the last right. uh, annual report. Uh, 19% at retail, and then just 15% professional services. Do you expect an expansion? Do you think those numbers will kind of remain constant, particularly as we look at people returning back to a, a post-COVID or a pandemic-free life, I should say?
0: Well, one of the things they have been doing is they've been growing uh, the size of the merchants. Uh, about half their merchants now are doing over $125,000 a year in gross revenue. Um, And that's been increasing. So, you know, you can read into that whatever you want, but they're getting bigger and bigger businesses. Um, We we still think that, you know, the local restaurants and whatnot, your barbershop, whatever, they're they're the company's bread and butter. But those places are all reopening again. You know, I mean, last week when I was in New York, I saw all the restaurants in Soho were opening up. And I expect that's going to continue all across the country. And the company's got international expansion. It could... uh, it can grow into as well. So so I, I expect that mix will maybe remain about the same. I think the size of the average, um, you know, revenue um, per company will grow a little bit bigger, but there's a lot of runway for this company. And, you know, they clearly have the first mover advantage.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what's so interesting is, and I, and I did do a lot of work in this company when it first went public, and I was long, many, many years ago, working at Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And, uh, you know, what we saw when they went public was most of their business was small business, and that yeah. the companies, the sellers that were doing one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in revenue or less, that was two-thirds of their business mm-hmm. and and to your point, that's down to forty percent of their business right now um, right. and it looks like that continues to grow there. Uh, that makes a big difference, but it does seem that it would I wouldn't have expected that because they seem to charge so much more per transaction than some of their competitors.
0: yeah, but it but it's simple. It's simple for businesses to use, and simplicity has a lot going for it in a lot of cases. And I, and I think that one thing that people don't talk about too much that could really be a big big boost to this company. Two things actually. One is is uh, their holdings in Bitcoin. You know, as everybody knows, they bought about 170 million dollars worth of Bitcoin um, a couple of months ago. But you know, now that that holding is worth well over 300, even at the reduced price. Last week's price, it's over $300 million. So there's some gains there. But the really interesting thing to me is I think somebody could easily take out this company. You know, one of the big banks could just buy them, somebody, any one of so
1: them. So about this Bitcoin thing. So they they maintain that, you know, first of all, they hold the the Bitcoin for their customers. So they the benefits of owning the Bitcoin or the losses should not accrue to them much, right? They, they, a customer comes in and says, buy some Bitcoin from my account, put it in my account, I will sell it when I want to sell it. So gains and losses there shouldn't affect these guys much, right?
0: True, but it seems to me that the company's stock price is
1: trading in tandem with Bitcoin.
0: You know, look what's happened with Bitcoin in the past uh, month or so with its value being cut in half and, and Square has kind of followed that along. So if you're watching the, the, the stock price, I think it's going to be tied to that. And, well, you know, I, so
1: I would I would argue that that's a, a devil's advocate. I would say it's a bad thing, right? If, if most of your business is selling Bitcoin and you're being valued on a business that wasn't so interesting to consumers a year ago and might not be in the next year because it's based entirely on speculative uh, uh, guessing about what its ultimate value might be, maybe that's not the thing to hang your hat on and it's such a tertiary business. Now, I know that, that Jack Dorsey makes the case that People coming to our cash app to buy Bitcoin will stay to use the cash app. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that something you believe to be true?
0: I think so. I think that the people that use Square tend to be uh, Bitcoin aficionados. But I think it's also to, p- to point out that, you know, th- this is a company that's going to do $20 billion in revenue this year. I mean, their Bitcoin holdings at, you know, call it $300 million, are relatively small. You know, uh, part of their balance sheet, and uh, I, I don't think that the stock price is going to be driven exclusively based upon that. But uh, it's it's really about the revenue growth, and you know, growing at the rate that they are, you know, EPS is going to be a buck forty nine this year versus eighty four cents in twenty twenty. That's a seventy eight percent EPS growth. You know, so I, I don't think it's I don't think the company's stock price is going to be tagged directly to Bitcoin. It's just a little side business,
1: really. And uh, you said just a little side business. It is a majority of their sales.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So do you think that uh, going forward, that will remain the case that most of their top line, you know, because you're talking about the revenue, size of the revenues in, uh, this year, do you think that most of their revenues this, this year or in future years will continue to be Bitcoin sales?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how Bitcoin does for the remainder of the year. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy what's happening with it right now. I mean, we've got, you know, Ethereum out there getting some traction in the market and whatnot, and they've got all this ESG considerations with their energy use and so forth. Yeah, that's kind of hard to say. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin. You know, we just well, don't.
1: Yeah, well, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, I you know, I, I'm completely biased because I worked for Ripple for a little while, and I think that the, the actual tangible use cases of XRP – in the case of Ripple and lots of other companies using XRP, or all of the DeFi apps being written on Ethereum, uh, kind of prove that that Ether and XRP have use cases that Bitcoin um, hasn't necessarily shown. I know the Bitcoin maximalist will be screaming at me right now on Twitter, but uh, it, it, do you, do we need Bitcoin to work for Square to work as a as a as a business, how crucial is the success of Bitcoin, whether it's for speculation or for actual use, to your kind of bull case for Square? How important is Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, well, Bitcoin, or sorry, Square was working prior to them making their investment in Bitcoin. I would uh, agree. Keeping, keeping that on their balance sheet. So my, my argument is that with or without Bitcoin, it's going to continue to work. But uh, time will tell.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, so how do you try to factor that risk into your investment or risk into your understanding of what the company is, knowing that Bitcoin really is 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 on a tear like uh, we we rarely see?
0: Yeah, well, it's a high beta stock, that's for sure. No question about that. Um, what we do is we use a lot of technical analysis at our firm. We're constantly looking at 10, 50 and 200 day moving averages. And like I said previously, you know, when, when something gets down to a range that we think is attractive, you know, we make a play on it. So you just got to keep in mind that it's, it is a risky bet. There's a lot of movement, a lot of volatility in this stock. Implied volatilities are always going to be high. Just look at the charts. Use the charts. You know, the market will tell you when it's a good time to buy and when it's not.
1: And, and as you look at the growth of this company over time, um, do you expect more competition from the likes of of, of Visa and, uh, to a lesser degree, some of the credit card companies that are have their own kind of payment systems and payment backends as well?
0: Probably. I mean, I think Jamie Dimon has made comments before about being very worried about companies like Square, and I think rightfully so. But that ties back into what I said earlier about possibly being a takeover candidate. Now, you could ask yourself, would would, would Dorsey ever be willing to do that? would he sell Square to a uh, Morgan Chase or something? Uh, I don't know. I tend to think not, but, you know, doesn't mean that a company couldn't make an offer.
1: Uh, indeed. Well, uh, uh, it's an interesting company to watch. It's an interesting company to watch when you know the CEO has got, you, you would think that being the CEO of Twitter is, uh, is a full-time job alone uh, and that having Square on the side or having Twitter on the side either way wouldn't yeah. benefit either company, but uh, does, does, I should point, is that something that worries you at all or something that when you look at this company, you think it'd well, you know, be it, nice to have a full-time CEO? It
0: does. It does. And if you remember when, when he announced um, that he was going <laughs> to leave the country and go spend some time elsewhere, the stock got clocked when that happened. And you know, that is a very real concern. Now, uh, once again, going back to what I said earlier, unlike Elon Musk, he doesn't get himself in trouble a lot. You know, he's not out there tweeting things that it's going to cause the market to take his stock down. So at least he's relatively quiet, it would seem. But yeah, I would agree with that statement. It probably would be beneficial to bring in somebody, you know, a seasoned veteran to help him run the company. I would agree.
1: All right. Well, interesting stuff. We'll keep an eye on Square. Kevin Riley from Exponential Investment Partners. Kevin, how can. Uh, our listeners continue to follow uh, your thoughts on, on this company and others.
0: Uh, well, we've got everything up on our website at exponentialhedge.com. And uh, we're going to be setting up a Twitter account pretty soon. We don't have one yet, but uh, we will soon. Uh,
1: don't tell Jack. <laughs> he's going to be, he'll, that is not what he wants to hear. Stuff. <laughs> Kevin Riley, all right, thank you very much. We'll right. okay. up next on the drill down, the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Well, it's a new day. But it's the same bite. Yesterday, I told you about the percentage growth rate of a company 2.6. I'm sure you remember well. Today, I want to tell you about the percentage of Bitcoin sales as a percentage of t- Square's total sales. So, yes, it's the same number. Do you remember from yesterday? What is Bitcoin as a percentage of Square's total sales? We'll have that number, the drill down bite, after this.
2: The drill down is brought to you by Era a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically era's ai powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter that's era
1: dot com. and we want you to listen to this podcast every day and we're hoping you make this a ritual so it's one place you need to hear everything you need to know about business every day. Now, you can always get our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeart. The Drill Down Podcast is also on Pandora now. Subscribe and follow us. Don't miss a show.
2: And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net.
1: All right, well, the drill down, bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, a year ago, Bitcoin sales were 14% of Square's total sales. But in the most recent quarter, it was 69%. Yes, that was the same growth rate as 2.6% uh, we talked about yesterday. But 69% of the revenues for Square is of the sale of Bitcoin. Most of their business is not merchant transactions. It's talking Bitcoin.
2: That seems to me like it, would ma- it should be be making some people at Square a little nervous.
1: Or it continues, I don't know. As long as it's hard for people to get Bitcoin anywhere else, maybe they go to the Square Cash app. Uh, Jack Dorsey certainly says that those sales, he thinks will lead to the use of Cash app for other stuff, but it does make it hard to evaluate this company on a basis of of sales alone because it's such a, a different kind of business than the rest of their businesses. In any case, we'll keep an eye on it. Well, thanks for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill down's is a production of the Business Podcast Network.